Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back. We are on the episode for January 13th through 19th, 1 Nephi 8 through 10, Come and Partake of the Fruit. Today is all about Lehi's dream and that whole section of the Book of Mormon and Nephi's response to it and Laman Lemuel's response to it. So we have all kinds of really good stuff coming up for you today. But the first thing that I want to focus on is Lehi's dream. Because here's the thing. Lehi was dreaming in symbolism. And if you remember, we talked about this in season one last year when we did Come Follow Me, and we had our episode on the book of Revelation. We talked about how symbolism is perfect because it teaches people different things, and different people can see different things with the symbols in their mind. And even at different points in your life, you might see a symbol differently. Or you might see, you know, the story that Lehi is portraying a little bit differently. Um, an example of this that I thought of the other day is, you know, when I was younger, I used to love the movie The Little Mermaid. And I would watch The Little Mermaid and Ariel, you know, she's watching Eric and she's singing to him, wants to be part of his world. And I'm like, oh, yes, Ariel, go for it, girl. Like, you know, cheering her on and everything. Now I go back and I watch The Little Mermaid and I'm like, oh, King Triton, like, take away her cell phone and her car keys. Like, no, you don't. You're 16. You're 16. You don't know what love is. Like, what are you thinking, Ariel? You know, and so my perspective as I've gotten older and become a parent has changed on that story of the Little Mermaid. So growing up as I did with Lehi's dream, I find that my perspective of the different characters in Lehi's dream, some of the different places in Lehi's dream, that it becomes a little bit different as I get older. Now, something else that I thought was incredibly interesting that I had never actually really thought about until this week is that Lehi's dream, the symbols in there, are all very subjective to whatever you're used to, whatever you grew up with, um, whatever part of the world or country that you're from, you see Lehi's dream a little bit differently. Okay, an example of this is actually an article that was in the Ensign that made me start thinking about this. It's from the 1996 Ensign, I think June Ensign, and it's called The Tree of Life, Art Depicting Lehi's Dream. And you have different versions, different artworks from all over the world. We have Japan and Mexico. We have someone from Nauvoo who's painting it in kind of a Renaissance style. Lebanon, the Philippines, Ecuador, Sweden. They're all painting the same subject, Lehi's Dream. But it's all done in different styles. It's done in different mediums. Like it all comes across different. So I started sitting down and kind of thinking about, you know, Lehi's dream and what I've always pictured it to look like in my mind. So I want you guys to take a moment and we're going to read some of the descriptions from Lehi's version of his dream. Because, you know, Nephi went back and he kind of saw a little bit of it too. But we're going to read from Lehi's version. And you'll see that they're very vague. Like there's no actual description. Maybe the only actual description we have in the whole thing is like the fruit is white. Like that's it, right? And so I want you to think kind of what 
you're seeing in your mind when you go through and you start thinking about Lehi's dream. All right. So first off, when we start out with Lehi's dream, we start out in 1 Nephi chapter 8. And what's interesting to me is they launch into the dream in verse 2. But if we like roll on back into verse 1, it says, And it came to pass that we had gathered together all manner of seeds of every kind, both of grain of every kind and also the seeds of fruit of every kind. Okay, to me, this is the same thing as, you know, Peter being on the rooftop in Joppa. I know I talked about this last week, too, but I just it's such a good example of how the Lord talks to us. You know, Peter thinking it's snack time. Lord, I want something to eat. And Lord's like, okay, let's talk about food and gives him the vision of, you know, kill and eat Peter, all these different things. And um, but it was because that's where Peter's head was at. So Lehi's head is at fruit and seeds and planting, and this new world that he's going to, and that's what the Lord gives him in his dream, right? So he takes us where we are, and then he gives us, you know, meets us where we are and gives us the information that we need to go forward and whatever it is that we're doing. So I just thought that was an interesting introduction to Lehi's dream, because why else would they tack on that first little verse right here in First Nephi chapter 8, you know, that they were gathering seeds, unless it makes sense that, you know, Right here, what we're doing is planting the seeds for what is going to later become the rest of the Book of Mormon. So here we go. What time of day is it when you think about Lehi's dream in your vision, you know, your mind of Lehi's dream? What time of day is it? What's the lighting like in Lehi's dream? Um, that was something that had never occurred to me till I go in and I start looking at all these other different paintings and stuff of Lehi's dream. That in my mind, it was always kind of like a twilight. Like there was some darkness in there, but you know, yet the sun hadn't quite left, but it made the fruit grow like a little bit lighter. So I don't know what time of day it is in your Lehi's dream, but in my Lehi's dream, it's kind of twilight, right? So then the first thing that he sees, and we see this in verse nine, is a field. And all the description that we have of this is, I beheld a large and spacious field. Like that's our description of the field. So a large and spacious field. What does your field look like? Well, I can tell you mine is like a field of grass, like, you know, the long Bermuda grass that we have here in the South that goes crazy in the summer. Like that's my field, right? Then at the end of that field, we have a tree. And in verse 10 and 11, it says, I beheld a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. And describing the fruit, it says, and it came to pass that I did go forth and partake of the fruit thereof. And I beheld that it was most sweet above all that I had ever before tasted. And I beheld the fruit thereof was white to exceed all whiteness that I had ever seen. Okay, so what does your tree look like? What kind of tree is it? That was something I started wondering about because I go in and I look at this art from all over the world and there's different kinds of trees. Well, to me, it's kind of a cross between a weeping willow and a magnolia tree is kind of what I see, like kind of a big umbrella, but has like branches hanging down, Um, you know, and I I think of that magnolia tree with like that gorgeous lemony scent. And so I feel like there's kind of like a scent in the air, like a beautiful fruity scent in the air. And the fruit, what kind of fruit do you see in your mind? Like what kind of fruit is it? For me, it's like the cross between a peach and a pear. And it's white, of course, obviously. But those are like the two fruit that I think of that are like so incredibly sweet, especially, you know, here in the South in the summer, you go to Clanton, Alabama, or you go, you know, over into Georgia and to Chilton County. And those peaches are amazingly sweet. So and they're juicy, too. So I always kind of pictured that fruit kind of as like a pear peach type, you know, combination thing. So that's kind of what I always thought of that. All right. Let's talk about the spacious building. So in 26 and 27, it talks about the spacious building. It says, And I also cast my eyes round about and beheld on the other side of the river of water, a great and spacious building. And it stood as it were in the air high above the earth. 
and it was filled with people, both old and young, male and female, and their manner of dress was exceedingly fine, and they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing their fingers towards those who had come at and were partaking of the fruit. Okay, so I don't know where my mind like put this connection together or conjured it up somehow, but ever since I was really little, I have always pictured that spacious building as like one of the parking garages that's in downtown Huntsville. It's like right near one of the parks. Um, that's, you know, our downtown parks, they have a parking garage that kind of goes up across one of the little spots of it. And so I see that parking garage in my mind, like that's my great and spacious building. And like, you know, the spots where you can see into the parking garage, like that's where the people are standing and pointing. So it wasn't until I actually went in and started like dissecting what I'm seeing in the dream. And like, instead of being like, oh yeah, spacious building, like this is what it means. But actually going in and being like, okay, what am I seeing that I actually started realizing that? And it wasn't until, you know, this time going through and reading that, that kind of came out to me. So that's my parking garage right there is the spacious building. Okay, river. I beheld a river of water, and it ran along, and it was near the tree of which I was partaking the fruit. Now, it's interesting to me because sometimes, I want to talk a little bit more about this. Some other, you know, interpretations of the Lehi's dream has had two rivers, two different rivers. There's one that flows along up to the tree, and it's like a clean and beautiful river. And then there's like other river that's dark and swift, and you know, it's kind of going along on the other side of the tree. Um, Lehi doesn't really kind of distinguish between the two. He kind of talks about in 13, I beheld a river of water, and it ran along, and it was near the tree of which I was partaking the fruit. So we don't know really kind of, I mean, he talks about people being lost into the river and stuff like that. So I tend to see it as kind of like a fast-moving river. Um, Sometimes when we have really heavy rainfall and runoff here in the south, the rivers move really fast, and they've got kind of like a, I don't know, kind of a gray tint to it when it goes really fast because you've got the mud and stuff all being turned up in it. So that's kind of what I see. I see kind of like a rapid river moving. But then the part near the tree, as it gets closer to the tree, I see as being like really crystal blue and like almost like a fountain. So I don't know how that meshes together, but that's kind of what I see. All right, so the path. There's a rod of iron, which I'm assuming we all kind of see as is like, you know, just like a normal rod that you would have like near a staircase or whatever. At least I'm assuming that. I don't know if that's what you're thinking of or not, but I think kind of like a staircase like handle. But then there's a path next to it. And I also beheld a straight and narrow path, which came along by the rod of iron, even to the tree by which I stood. And it also led by the head of the fountain unto a large and spacious field as if it had been a world. Okay, so the path that I see, I guess, again, because we're in the south, and I'm very used to red dirt. Like my path that I have here is a red dirt path. Like it's the same kind of color that you would see in like a baseball diamond here in the South. And um, it's that that red path. And so I don't know, maybe your path is paved with stones. Maybe your path is like, you know, paved asphalt all the way up to the tree. I don't know. But it, that's just like, it was interesting to me to sit down and actually look at like the different influences I think that I've had in my life and how they kind of came across in that particular dream, you know, so interesting. And I even went back in and I started researching other dreams that people have had that have similarities between their dreams and Lehi's dreams. And there's actually been lots of different recorded instances. I realized that we're going into some like woo woo territory here. So, you know, but I used only church sources for this. So just FYI. So the first one I used is from an Ensign article in the 1988 Ensign, and it's called The Tree of Life in Ancient Cultures. Lehi was not the first person in ancient in the ancient world 
especially in the ancient Mediterranean world, to have a dream like this. This is a not very common, but fairly common dream that occurred multiple times in the ancient world that we have record of. And so that to me is another testament actually to the veracity of the Book of Mormon, because this was something that was happening mostly in the ancient world. Like we didn't see it much in the other areas of the world, but mostly there in the Mediterranean world. So here you go. I'm going to read you a little bit from this article. Ensign, June 1988 by C. Wilford Griggs, The Tree of Life in Ancient Cultures. The Book of Mormon brought the tree of life to our attention long before modern scholarship revealed how common the tree was in ancient history. The symbol of that tree pervades the art and literature of every Mediterranean culture from centuries before Lehi until well after the time of Moroni. This fact, and the fact that Lehi and Nephi portrayed the spiritual meaning of that symbol much the same way other cultures portrayed it, demonstrate that the Book of Mormon is an ancient text, not an invention of the 19th century social milieu. What in particular were the views of the Tree of Life among the ancients, and how well do those views correspond with the view in the Book of Mormon? Well, among the closest parallels, the scenes that appear on a number of small gold plates dating from the 5th century BC to 3rd century AD are engraved in Greek and found in Italy, Sicily, Crete, and Macedonia. These plates depict the dead wandering in the world of shades and warn them to devoid a destructive spring on their left. They enjoin the souls to keep to the right where they will encounter another spring besides a white cypress tree. After pausing for refreshment and nourishment from the spring in the tree, the wanderers continue to a lake of memory, where after responding appropriately to questions posed by the lake guardians, the travelers receive eternal memories and enter into God's presence. The text on many of these plates state that those who successfully complete the journey become gods themselves. Commenters agree that the cypress tree is a tree of life symbol, the spring nearby a spring of life, and the other spring a source of forgetfulness and punishment. They also agree that the most likely origin for this mythology is from Egypt. The similarities to the Book of Mormon account are striking, inviting comparison with more detailed descriptions in that book of river of filthy water, the tree that gives sustenance, the fountain of living water, the questions at judgment, and the disciples who attain exaltation. So, really interesting article there, especially from these plates that showing that it was very common to have the stream back in ancient Mediterranean cultures. I don't know. That was just very interesting to me. Well, then fast forward in time, you know, we're going fast forward in the biographical sketches of Josie Smith by Lucy Mack Smith. You know, he's writing his mother's writing about him. Um, she talks about a dream that his father Hiram Smith had before Joseph and the restoration and all that stuff happened that she wrote down. And it's very similar to Lehi's dream. He's walking in a field and he sees the tree and he calls the fruit chestnut burrs is what he calls them. He says that they're white chestnut burrs. Um, so again, you know, very much from his culture, he's like putting what he sees in his mind on his dream of the tree of life. So just interesting that where it keeps popping up, right? So I don't know. Just something I was thinking of this week. Well, as we go into Come Follow Me, yes, we're finally jumping into Come Follow Me, okay? The introduction says Lehi's dream with its rod of iron, mists of darkness, spacious building, and the tree with the most sweet fruit is an inspiring invitation to receive the blessings of the Savior's love and atoning sacrifice. Okay, pause. So I'm recording this. This is the same week of Christmas. Now we had Christmas a couple of days ago, and it has been such a sweet and amazing Christmas. I've had such a good time. Because I think of my study of Come Follow Me in the past year, focusing me so intently on the Savior and on his mission and what he did here on earth and what it, the impact that it had on us, 
that I was really able to understand, I think, his sacrifice and what it meant for him to be born 2,000 years ago, a little bit better than I ever had in any other Christmas before. So this was a really, really wonderful Christmas to contemplate the Savior, what he means to us, what that little baby being born 2,000 years ago, what it meant to us, what unto us a child is born actually means. Right, And that most sweet fruit that Lehi is talking about, the Savior's love and God's love to let his only son come down to earth and be sacrificed for us. You know, that sweet fruit, that's what that is. And that that Christmas time feeling kind of that that I got, I guess, a little bit is just kind of an echo of what that sweet fruit tastes like, right? All right, going back to come follow me. For Lehi, however, this vision was also about his family. Because of the thing which I have seen, I have reason to rejoice in the Lord, because of Nephi and also of Sam. But behold, Laman and Lemuel, I fear exceedingly because of you. When Lehi finished describing his vision, he pleaded with Laman and Lemuel to hearken his words, and perhaps the Lord would be merciful to them. Even if you have studied Lehi's vision many times, this time think about it the way Lehi did. Think of someone you love. Okay, so oh, let's pause here because I have issues, guys. <laughs> I have issues with this. Um, my issues with this is that when we set it up as Nephi and Sam were on the path and Laman and Lemuel were not on the path, but they were straying away and we were very concerned about them, I feel like maybe we're possibly setting the scenario up to be judgy. Um, and I mean that like we start thinking about people in our ward and where are they on the path? And, you know, is this person, oh, that person's child left the gospel. They've wandered into the mist of darkness. They've gone astray. You know, I worry that we start thinking in those patterns. And come follow me. And Lehi sets us up in that pattern. And I think come follow me even kind of kinds of sets it up in that pattern. And to me, that's almost a little dangerous. So watch yourself as you're thinking that. Um, I know that they do it with good intentions, that they do it to think about your own family, what you can do to encourage them to be on the path. But for me, it even got to the point where I was like, oh, I'm getting a little bit judgy here. It's, it was, uh, I guess I'm just more sensitive to that because it's something I'm really bad at. Being judgy is something that's very, very easy for me. And it's something I have to rein myself in on a lot. And so I saw this as a place where it was very easy for me to veer off of the path, I guess, of goodness and go off into the mist of darkness and start being judgy about people. So really, I think the purpose for me, at least the best way for me to use it in my life is to look at the different symbols of Lehi's dream and find where am I on the path? And what are some of the things in my life that the mist of darkness represents? And what are some of the ways that I can hold to the rod and hold fast to the rod? We're going to talk about that. So, you know, where am I? What's my spiritual progress? You know, I don't need to worry about what all is going on. In fact, that's one of the whole points of like the great and spacious building. Don't worry about them. You know, focus on the path and focus on where you need to be. As the Mandalorian said, this is the way, right? This is the way. That's what the Mandalorian says. So the way is right here. It's the path. It's the rod of iron. So I don't know. Come follow me and I have a little bit of a disagreement there on how we focus on this. But they do say, think about someone you love. As you do, the security of the iron rod, the dangers of the spacious building, the sweetness of the fruit will take on new meaning, and you will understand more deeply all the feeling of a tender parent who received this remarkable vision. So if we are doing that, we're thinking about someone we love, we absolutely have to be thinking about it in the most Christ-like way possible. You know, no judgment there. We're doing this completely out of love, which I have to think that's how Lehi was looking at Laman and Lemuel. And to me, that even makes me go off and think of, 
you know, Lehi, like, why did you even bring these guys along? Like, they were, you know, probably older teenagers when you came. They probably whined, like, the entire way into the wilderness. And then you had to send them back twice. And they probably whined. You know, we know they did. We know they whined all the way back. And you know that they whined all the way back again. And, I mean, just constant whining, constant complaining, constant just troublemaking. Like, they're just a bunch of little toots. Like, why would you bring these little toots with you? Why wouldn't you just let them stay? Yeah, you guys want to go back to Jerusalem so bad? Go back to Jerusalem. Just stay there, guys. But what we see is Lehi's great love and Lehi's very Christ-like love. I mean, you can see there again where my impatience and my judgment is kind of like coming in. I would just be like writing them off like, boof, bye, you know, stay back there in Jerusalem. Like, bye, guys, right? Whereas Lehi, as a tender, loving, Christ-like parent, always sees hope in these two. Even in his dream, though, he's afraid for them that that hope is not going to be realized. And I think sometimes for those of us who have family members who have gone astray, we're worried about that, you know, that that hope is not going to be realized. But here's the thing. We can only do so much. You know, we can do everything within our power to bring that person to Christ. But at the end of the day, it has to be their choice to step onto that path and to grab hold of that iron rod. I mean, we can beg them, we can plead with them, and there's always hope because we always have a Savior who never gives up hope in us, but it's got to be their choice. And I think sometimes when we are beckoning them to the rod, it can get to the point where it's almost abrasive. Like they're like, you know, stop, 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 you know, and that, that drives them a little bit further into the darkness. So I don't know. Check yourselves on that. I don't I don't know where you are in that particular relationship if you have someone who has gone astray, but... Um, you know, just all the feeling of a tender parent, like that phrase really got to me. I think, you know, what am I doing to bring my child to the gospel? You know, I'm fairly limited in what I can do um, just because of my situation in my home with my husband, you know, being very much anti the church and refusing to have my son go to church with me and things like that. But what can I do? And so, you know, this Christmas season, in particular, we really studied the nativity because, you know, that's biblical, that's Christian. We can totally do that. No problem. But we really studied the nativity very intensely. And that was one way that I really feel like I can bring my child to know the Savior and to know his love. And so, I don't know, that was something that kind of came to me this week. All right. We are now like almost halfway through the episode and we are now coming out of the introduction. (laughs) Okay. I know I've been long winded. Okay. So the first section in Come Follow Me, the word of God leads me to the Savior and helps me feel his love. It says Lehi's vision offers an invitation to reflect on where you are. Okay. Like I said, this is about you, not necessarily where everyone else is going, where you are going in your personal journey to know the Savior and to feel his love. President Boyd K. Packer taught, You may think Lehi's dream or vision has no special meaning for you, but it does. You are in it. All of us are in it. Lehi's dream or vision of the iron rod has in it everything a Latter-day Saint needs to understand this test of life. One way to study 1 Nephi 8 could be to fill out a chart like the one shown here. To understand the meaning of the symbols, it is helpful to refer to the vision that Nephi had when he prayed to understand his father's vision, which you can see especially in Nephi 11, 12, and 15. So let's talk about the symbols. So the tree and its fruit. Obviously, we know that it's the love of God. It's eternal life. It's the Savior's sacrifice, right? That's We know that. That's like one of the most obvious ones there. And so then questions to ponder that come follow me asks, what am I doing to invite others to partake of the love of God? Well, one of the things that 
you know, we just did recently here at Christmas time is light the world. I hope you guys took part in light the world because it was such a fun and inspirational experience. Um, but we had something to do every single day to light the world, something that we could do to share our testimony with others, share that love of God, share that fruit with others, you know? And so that was one of the ways that I really saw kind of stretching outside of my comfort zone and sharing my testimony with others was one of the ways that I saw to share that fruit of the tree of life with others. Next symbol is the river. Okay, so again, this is like, I don't know how many rivers there are, but there's definitely the one river flowing up to the tree, the fountain that's there. I see it as the water of life, which, you know, again, symbolizes our Savior. And you know that he who drinks from the water that he gives him will never thirst again, that whole thing, that we're constantly being renewed, refreshed, and replenished by our Savior, right? So there's that water. And then there's the river, like the filthy river, the rain overflow that I kind of see in my mind that's kind of running along. So what is the meaning of that river? In 1 Nephi 8, 13, I know we already read this, but we're going to read it again. And as I cast my eyes round about that I might discover my family also, I beheld a river of water and it ran along and it was near the tree of which I was partaking the fruit. So on the other side, we have this big river. And we have a little bit further explanation of that where we go into 1 Nephi 15 and he's kind of explaining Lehi's dream. Nephi's explaining. And in 26, he says, well, in 26, his family asks him, what meaneth the river of water which our father saw? And 27, Nephi answers. And he says unto them, the water which my father saw was filthiness. And so much was his mind swallowed up in other things that he beheld not the filthiness of the water. And I said unto them, it is an awful gulf which separated the wicked from the tree of life and also the saints of God. And he goes on to talk about its hell. And Nephi, I love Nephi because he's such a good example. But sometimes I feel like he gets like a little like smash you over the head with the hell thing. But um, I guess, you know, if you're dealing with Laman Lemuel, maybe you need to be that way. I don't know. But so you've got this water and it's what's separating the righteous from those who have chosen to be in the great and spacious building. And I never thought of it before, but that's probably why I picked the parking garage for my great and spacious building, because there's actually a river that runs between the park and the parking garage. So I don't know, maybe that's where my mind came up with that. But so he says that Lehi's mind was wandering off to so many other things. Lehi didn't really notice that the river was filthiness and that it's the awful gulf which separates the wicked from the tree of life and also from the saints of God. So it's the filthiness of the world. And if you think about it, you know, we have, we live in a real physical, tangible world, right? So these symbols all have real physical, tangible meanings, but we can also turn and look at the digital world around us too, the internet. I mean, is there the gospel there on the internet? Is there the Savior's love in the internet? Yes, you can find it there. Absolutely. We can lead others to it. They light the world. Half of that took place online, right? So there's definitely that part of Lehi's dream is online. Is there also filthiness, like a river of filthiness on the internet? Oh, yes. Big time. Is there great and spacious buildings? Oh, yes. Big time, right? Twitter is like a great and spacious building. There's good stuff on Twitter, too. I I promise it's out there. But there's lots of mocking that happens on Twitter, let's be honest. Um, Is there also like, you know, a mist of darkness that kind of like detracts people off the path? Yeah, there's that, too, on the Internet. There's also that in real life. So, you know, as we're talking about this, think not only about the physical world, but also what are the implications of this on, you know, our digital lives, our digital world, technology? Where does that take place in Lehi's dream as well? I don't know. Just something I thought of, especially when we talk about the river of filthiness. I'm like, (laughs) well, there's like a big, big, giant river of that online. So. I don't know. That was something I thought of. So that is the representation. So we know it's filthiness. So when we go into Come Follow Me, 
The meaning is the filthiness. So questions to ponder. What are we doing to escape that river? Well, as it, you know, it relates to things like the internet or entertainment or media or music or books. I think, you know, especially when you have river runoff, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm equating it to my experience here in the South, but especially when you have river runoff after a rain, the sides by the river are really soft. And when you go and you stand on the sides by a river after, especially after a big rainfall, there's a chance that you can fall in. If you were on the sides of river where the ground is really, really soft, it will crumble really easily and you could be swept in. So to me, what that tells me is don't go anywhere near that. Don't go anywhere near that filthiness that's even close to it. Don't even go to the riverbank to see what's going on in the river. You know, stay on the path. I don't know. That's kind of like what, what came to me of that. Okay, so let's talk about the rod of iron that Nephi saw. We know the rod of iron represents the word of God. And so we know the word of God is, you know, studying our scriptures and listening to the Holy Ghost as we study those scriptures, receiving our own personal revelation, not just the revelation that people like me receive for myself, but your own personal revelation with your own scripture study. What does that say to you? In my patriarchal blessing, I'm given the promise and I'm sharing this because I feel like this is a promise for everyone that as I study the scriptures, my testimony will be firmed up that it will be able to stand in the forces of evil in the latter days. Well, anyone can have that promise in their lives, right? You study the scriptures, you study the gospel, you immerse yourself in the gospel. And there are so many different aspects to our testimony. You know, I've told you before, I am super strong in my testimony of Christ, super strong in my testimony of the Bible, super strong of the doctrine in the Book of Mormon. Church restoration, I'm a little iffy on, right? But I know that that's the weak part of my testimony I have to constantly shore up, whereas there's other parts of my testimony that are rock solid, So we all have those different aspects. So knowing where you're weak can kind of, and studying that and like using the scriptures to kind of shore those parts up, I think are really good. But we also still have to shore up the parts that are really strong as well. It's constantly, I think, kind of like juggling, you know, different parts of your testimony. You know, what what ball are you working on now? And right now we just happen to be studying the Book of Mormon, which is really awesome. So go ahead, study that word of God, and that will help bring you to God. And that's what that whole path is about, bringing you to God. Now, they lead you to a really interesting talk here in Come Follow Me. It's David A. Bednar's talk, Lehi's Dream, Holding Fast to the Rod from the Ensign, October 2011. Okay, and so he talks about the different people, the different groups of people that come through that are holding onto the rod. And, you know, there's some that fall astray or there's some that reach the tree, but then, you know, they're ashamed of it and they fall astray. And um, he talks about them and he talks about specifically the verbs that are used when they are walking along the path. Are they clinging to the rod or are they holding fast to the rod? So here's what he says. He starts out quoting Nephi in the scriptures. He says, Nephi's brothers asked, what meaneth the rod of iron, which our father saw that led to the tree? And Nephi said unto them that it was the word of God. And whoso would hearken unto the word of God and would hold fast into it, they would never perish. Neither would the temptations and fiery darts of the adversary overpower them into blindness to lead them away to destruction. Now, Pause. This is Lexi. You'll notice that it says the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them. Would it, the fiery darts of the adversary still hit them? Yeah. Yeah, they'll still be exposed to the fiery darts of the adversary. Those who are holding on to the word of God, which is why it's so important for us to hold on to that because those fiery darts are still going to come at us, but they are not going to have the ability to overpower us unto blindness. All right. That's the promise that we get by holding on to the word of God. Okay. Unpause. Back to David A. Bednar. What then is the difference between clinging and holding fast to the rod of iron? Okay, pause David A. Bednar again. So I started thinking about this. 
in my mind, again, clinging can mean something totally different to you than what it means to me. But in my mind, when I see someone clinging, I see them like on the edge of a cliff, kind of like clinging with their fingers onto that edge. And maybe they're kind of slipping a little bit, but they're holding on and, you know, but there's maybe a finger or two kind of coming off and eventually they might fall. Whereas hold fast to me sounds like they've got a really good firm grip on it, right? So I can kind of see a difference between the two. It was tough for me to get there and maybe a little bit of a stretch, but that's kind of what I saw. Okay, unpause. We're going back to David A. Benner. Let me suggest that holding fast to the iron rod entails, in large measure, the prayerful, consistent, and earnest use of the Holy Scriptures as a sure source of revealed truth and as a reliable guide for the journey along the straight and narrow path to the tree of life, even to the Lord Jesus Christ. It came to pass that I beheld that the rod of iron which my father had seen was the word of God, which led to the fountain of living waters or to the tree of life. And David Bednar. Okay, so he even says holding fast is doing prayerful, consistent study of the scriptures. And that's what we need to do. And honestly, that is something I strive to do every day. Some days I'm a little bit more intense about it than others. And that's something I need to work on too. I consistently read my scriptures, but is it just like going through and kind of like blindly like, okay, reading through, reading through, or is it like delving into them? And is it studying them deeply? Sometimes I just don't have time to do that, but other days I do. And so I really need to hold on to those days that I do. And it worries me sometimes. I'm like, am I clinging or am I holding fast? Is there that big of a difference? I don't know that there's that big of a difference. I think it may have just been word choice, but I don't know. It, it made me think about stuff. So I thought I would share that with you. Something else that made me think about stuff is the term, the straight and narrow path to the tree of life. Let's talk about that. We see this in 1 Nephi 8, 20. And it says, and I also beheld a straight and narrow path, which came along by the rod of iron. So if we go in and we actually look at the word straight, it's not S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. It's S-T-R-A-I-T. And a straight is like a narrow body of water. So if we have it, we kind of substitute that in. It could be a narrow and narrower path, which came along the rod of iron. What would that mean? Well, I think sometimes as we make decisions of how we're going to conduct ourselves and how we're going to live our lives and we come closer to Christ, that path narrows for us. Okay. So I'm already keeping the word of wisdom. So that path narrows off a little bit more. What else do I need to focus on? It's like, well, maybe you need to be a little bit more Christ-like to those around you. Okay. So I work on that for a little while. I got that taken care of. Okay. So that path narrows a little bit more. What do I need to work on around us You know, now? So it feels like our working on ourselves, that we are a constant state of work, like our constant state of progress, our lives are. And no matter what we've got checked off, there's always going to be something else popping up that we really need to work on. And that's part of this life. We're supposed to be here to have weaknesses. So don't get discouraged when you keep having things pop up and you're like, oh, I really need to work on that. I'm so impatient. That's me. I'm pointing to myself right now. Or I really need to work on maybe my language or I really need to work on, I don't know, whatever, whatever it is that you need to work on, you know, that's going to constantly pop up because that's part of this life. Weakness is part of this life. And taking care of those things and getting them taken care of and kind of checking them off your list of like, okay, I've got that done. I've, you know, considered that completed. Then the path gets a little bit narrower. I don't know. That's kind of what I saw. As as I continue along my path of discipleship, there's more and more things that pop up that I see that I need to take care of. You know, yeah, yay. Okay, I don't have to worry about this temptation anymore, but I've got these little, littler ones that maybe aren't quite such a big deal, but now I really need to take care of those now that I got the big stuff out of the way. 
don't know if that makes sense or not, but that's just one of the things that kind of came to me this week. So the next section in Come Follow Me is why did Nephi make two sets of plates? You can go in and read about that. Um, It's interesting to me. The whole point of that story to me that is so interesting is that the Lord knows the end from the beginning. And I know this. He always knows the end from the beginning and things always work out the way he wants them to. You know, there are two versions of the plates. There's the version that had like the political, cultural kind of stuff that was going on. And there's the version that has like the spiritual stuff. And they went ahead and translated that like cultural, political stuff plates first And that's what got lost. So what we get is the spiritual stuff, which is the stuff that we need. So Satan thought he was winning when he got those those pages lost. But really, no, the Lord was winning all along. That was his plan. It's amazing to me the way that Lord plans stuff like that. So I don't know. That's what I got out of that section. Okay, the next section is ancient prophets knew about Jesus Christ's mission and testified of him. Okay, this is something that has always blown my mind. Those ancient prophets that knew Jesus Christ would come and the faith that they had in him coming, to me, that just, that faith blows my mind. Because I think about it, you know, now we know how Christ came. We know exactly where he was born. We know what his life was like. We know how he sacrificed himself. We know he was put on a cross. And you'll see Lehi and Nephi, they have a few of those details, but they don't have near the amount of information that we have and they still believed. You know, I think about myself even, you know, when I was single, I'd been promised in multiple priesthood blessings and in my patriarchal blessing that I would get married one day. But at the time, there were times I didn't believe it. There were times that I really struggled with that. And that's just, you know, getting married. That's not something like the son of God coming down and saving me in my sins. You know, and they had faith in that. That is crazy to me. That is mind blowing to me. Um, It's something that I strive to be like, to emulate that type of faith. You know, they must have had in their savior. Um, And it leads you and come follow me. It tells you to go look at, you know, Lehi's talking about the savior coming and kind of looking at that. But I think Nephi's version of the savior coming is a little bit more expressive and a little bit more detailed. So I actually want to go in to first Nephi 11 and we start off in verse one and it says, for it came to pass, I desire to know the things that my father had seen, believing that the Lord was able to make them known unto me. Okay. So pause. So one of the things that we see there is number one, a desire to know the Lord and know what he, know the doctrine that his father had seen. So when we have questions about something, the first thing that needs to happen is we need to say, okay, Heavenly Father, I really want to know what this means. And then after that, to go and make, have the faith to make it happen and go and seek the Lord and seek his will on the subject. You know, I think a lot about my friend, Kansas. If y'all listened to last season, Kansas had an experience where she really wanted to know the church's stance on gay marriage. That was something that really, really bothered her. And so for, you know, months, maybe even years or so, she studied that out in her mind. She believed, you know, that the church stance was correct and she wanted to follow the prophet, and but she just didn't understand it. And eventually she got to the point where she was able to say one day, you know, the spirit kind of testified to her that the issue is so much more complex than we could ever realize and just kind of told her it's okay. You don't have to understand all the intricacies and all the complexities of this Just know that it's going to be okay. And she was able to make peace with it, just knowing that Heavenly Father had it, right? She didn't have to understand all the ins and outs. And I think sometimes when we get to that point where we need to know something or we feel like we need to know something, sometimes we just need to know it's going to be okay. But yet Nephi gets to know lots of ins and outs and lots of intricacies that come along here. But that's just, I feel like that's, his experience is kind of very atypical. So if you are having a struggle with something and you want to believe and you go to the Lord with your desire, 
and you're fighting after something, you, you're feeling after it, you want to know the answer, sometimes the answer is it's okay, you know, and it's just going to be okay and you don't get an exact answer like Nephi does here. So just because Nephi is getting this great detailed information, don't think that your experience of just being told it's okay is not the correct experience. Okay, sorry. I thought it was a rant. I know, I'm sorry. But I felt like I needed to go that way. So unpause, we're going back to Nephi. And believing the Lord was able to make them known unto me, as I sat pondering in my heart, I was caught away in the spirit of the Lord, yea, into an exceedingly high mountain, which I had never seen before, and upon which I had never before set my foot. And the spirit said unto me, Behold, what desirest thou? And I said, I desire to behold the things which my father saw. And the spirit said unto me, Believest thou that thy father saw the tree of which he hath spoken? And I said, Yea, thou knowest I believe all the words of my father. And when I had spoken these words, the spirit cried with a loud voice, saying, Hosanna to the Lord, the most high God, for he is God over all the earth, yea, even above all. And blessed art thou, Nephi, because thou believest in the son of the most high God. Wherefore, thou shalt behold the things which thou hast desired. Behold, this thing shall be given unto thee for a sign, that after thou hast beheld the tree which bore the fruit which thy father tasted, thou shalt also behold a man descending out of heaven. And him shall ye witness. After ye have witnessed him, ye shall bear record that it is the Son of God. Nephi got to see the Son of God. Like, that's so cool, right? That's in verse 7. And it came to pass, the Spirit said unto me, Look. Okay, so the word look appears like 25 billion times in the next couple of chapters while Nephi's having his vision. And it's interesting to me because I'm like, Nephi's in the vision. Of course he's looking. Of course he's looking. But maybe that's a command to those of us who are reading. Um, Look, look at the ways that this vision applies to your life. Look, look deeper into what these scriptures are saying. Look, look at the Son of God, look at his sacrifice, and look how it personally impacts your own life. Maybe it's for us to be looking. Maybe we're the ones who are being commanded to look and to seek, you know? I guess that's kind of what I got. But I went and I, like, even in this chapter 11 alone, there's four different looks. And we go on throughout the rest of the chapters, there's like a million looks, like the angel is commanding, look, exclamation mark, right? So, look. And I looked and beheld a tree, and it was like unto the tree which my father had seen, and the beauty thereof was far beyond, yea, exceeding of all beauty, and the whiteness thereof did exceed the whiteness of the driven snow. And it came to pass that after I had seen the tree, I said unto the spirit, I behold, thou hast shown unto me a tree which is precious above all. And he said unto me, What desirest thou? And I spake unto him to know the interpretation thereof. And I spake unto him as a man speaketh. Okay, let's roll on. Blah, 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 blah. We're going to fast forward just a little bit. And he tells him, look again. And he beholds Nazareth. And in the city of Nazareth, I beheld a virgin. And she was exceedingly fair and white. And it came to pass, I saw the heavens open. And an angel came down and stood before me. And he said unto me, Nephi, what beholdest thou? And I said unto him, a virgin, most beautiful and fair above all other virgins. And in 16, he says, and he said unto me, knowest thou the condescension of God? The condescension of God. Okay, so whenever someone's being condescending, I think of it as a negative thing, like someone is looking down upon you. So when I was reading this growing up, I thought this was God looking down upon us and being like judgmental and disdaining, you know, our behavior or whatever. Like I saw the scripture as a really negative thing. And it wasn't until I got older when I saw, knowest thou the condescension of God? This is God coming to earth. You know, do you know how God came to earth, Nephi? I'm telling you, there was a virgin. And behold, this virgin whom thou seest is the mother of God. This is the God coming down to earth. This is his humanity that we are going to imbue him with. He's going to be part human, but part divinity too. 
And that's how he's going to come to earth. So that scripture takes on a whole new meaning. The condescension of God is not a negative thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's God coming down to earth to save us. And then he goes on to testify of Christ and of the details of Christ. Behold the Lamb of God in 21. Yea, even the Son of the Eternal Father, knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? And I answered him, saying, Yea, it is the love of God, which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Wherefore, it is most desirable above all things. And he spake unto me, saying, Yea, and the most joyous to the soul. And that's Nephi testifying that the love of God is what is at the heart of this gospel. It's what is at the heart of this vision. The love of God is what is at the heart of the Book of Mormon. It's the heart of the scriptures. It's the reason for the iron rod. It's the reason for the narrowing path. It's the reason for the tree and for the fruit. It's the reason for us to turn around and look and see who's on the path so that we can guide them along with love, with Christ-like love, not with judgment. Love is what the gospel is all about. And it's all about bringing everyone we can to that fruit. All right, and that is where I'm going to end this week's episode. I know that there's more in Come Follow Me, but I feel like I've discussed some of the biggest points, I think, that kind of popped out to me this week. I'd love to hear what you guys thought about this week's reading. Um, I'd love to hear your interpretations of Lehi's dreams. What did y'all see in Lehi's dreams that was specific to you? What kind of tree was it, right? Like, I want to know that. So reach out to me. You can reach me on Facebook or Instagram or thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. I'd love to know what Lehi's dream says to you. So I hope you guys have an awesome week. I hope you are looking for that fruit and the love of God and lighting the world, right? And I will talk to you guys next week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com content in the Savior said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.